What an honor to be here. What, isn't it fun just to be together? I love it. Love it, love it. All right, we're uh, talking about uh, uh, the first, uh, the epistle to first of Peter, the first of Peter. <laughs> eloquent, the man is eloquent. First Peter, <laughs> chapter three. See if you can find that in your Bible. Uh, by the by, next week is Preston, uh, is his last uh, service with us before they start off for starting their community in Nashville called Sacrament, uh, beautiful name. Uh, where heaven meets earth. And um, uh, we're going, I want to invite those of you, the churches are going to continue to carry his salary to the end of the year. But uh, I would like to invite some of you that, that uh, love the notion of supporting a new work, which I think is, is, is a beautiful thing. Um, and, and to join Gail and I as we support them monthly for the next 12 months. So be thinking about that, would you? We're going to have some cards that you can grab and, and uh, participate. We want to be able to bless them. Okay, First Peter chapter 3. This particular um, letter written by the Apostle Peter um, starts out, Peter just simply says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. So he's addressing the church, as we were talking about last week, and trying to get us to understand, really, the story that we're part of. And the story involves, first of all, this declaration that God's chasing us, that he's engaged with us. And he says in chapter 1 and verse 3, he makes the statement that we're blessed because we've been born into this living hope, that we're born anew into this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what he's basically saying is, listen, life doesn't have to stay static. Things don't have to be as they've always been. Because you're connected to a being who has taken all that sin is, sin itself, and all that it represents, and all the ramifications of it, and went into the grave, and then on the back end of that came out victorious over it, you're connected to him. So that means stuff can change in your life. And then he goes on and says, as a result of this engagement, if you really get it, if you really understand how God has really vested into your life, it'll cause you to love him. We love God because he first loved us. And if you're not loving him well, if you're a bit of a toad, don't feel bad because everyone's a toad. But, but let the prince kiss you, right? or the princess kiss you, whatever, you know, detold you. But the point is, is that God somehow, as he addresses our lives and comes into our lives, it, he, Peter actually makes this point that somehow that we have this sort of reflex, like the doctor hitting you in that part of the knee, the reflex being he loves you because you know he loves you, you love him back, and that reflex is holiness. And then he begins to talk about how you can continue to grow in your holiness and, and uh, that it's not a human thing, that it's a result of us drawing from this message of life that God is in pursuit of us. The clearer we see it, the more we grow. And then he says, as a result of growing, we're put together because faith isn't just individuated. It is, we have an individual relationship with Christ, but we're called corporately together. And that's really opaque for most of us Americans because we tend to think about just give me ideas, I'll fix it, I'll come to church perfect. Instead of understanding, we come to church broken. And we need each other, and we need coming to the table, and we need sharing life together and praying together, worshiping together. All that stuff's important to our experience. And so uh, Peter says, look, you're like, you're like these living stones that have been brought together, and you're being built into a house, God's house. And he says, as you're being built into a house, it's not just for you, though. It's not just for you to be touched and for you to be loved. He says, you're being built into a house so that you can declare the praises of him. Now I'm into chapter 2, about verse 18. Declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into glorious light. What's he saying? God cares about people who don't know him. Jesus died for seven people. <laughs> Jesus died for everybody, right? All people, that's... 
the point is, is that what, what Peter is saying, he said, listen, as you guys learn to live in the light of what he's done, you're going to start living in a way that captures the attention of people outside of faith. And then he digs into it. He goes to the heart of it. He says, listen, the people out there that don't have faith, they're called pagans. They don't glorify God. They don't give thanks to God. And oftentimes they're, they're mean. He actually says they're harsh, which means they're crooked. The literal Greek word says they're crooked, which means they can't love uprightly. They can't think uprightly. They're crooked. They're sort of, they're sort of self-loving, they're like, a, like a boomerang of, uh, of thinking is always about themselves. Like a boomerang, you know, they, so they're crooked and they always think about themselves. And so Peter is saying you're out in the world with those kind of people and they're not always nice. In fact, they're oftentimes very difficult to be around. And he's, what he's suggesting is that when we get around difficult people, we shouldn't run from them. So he's talking about people that the more you get to know them, the better you like your dog. Right? That's what we're talking about here. And, and those are the people that most of us don't want to get around. We kind of want to avoid them and pray God delivers us from them. <laughs> I see that hand, Lord of repentance. <laughs> what he's saying is we should be the kind of people that actually take the challenge of moving toward the weirdos. Toward the difficult ones. Why? Because Peter introduces this wild concept that you and I are called to participate in changing the lives of the pagans. That we're to participate, and and he says by doing good in chapter 2 about verse 18, he says we do good and that by doing good we'll cause the pagans that don't glorify God to glorify God. And what he's suggesting to us is, is that we can be involved in changing the way people think about God. We're called to that. And, he, and, and the way he lays it out is just a, such a disturbing idea. Because the way we do it, which is the way I'd rather do it, is just tell them they're idiots. They should accept Christ as Savior and quit being stupid. Because they're going to go to hell. I mean, that's what, you know, just let's get clean about this. Write a track, put it in the bathroom, and everybody's saved. Especially after church, you go and eat. Don't give people tips. Just leave tracks. Well, that wait staff, they just love that. You talk to most weight staff. You know, I think if there's anything, you know, listen, what sanctuary ought to be known for is we ought to just double tip on Sundays. Amen. Just because there are other Christians in town that should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> Give a tip and an offering. Just say it's a, it's a blood offering for my stupid cousins in Christ. <laughs> Don't you dare not tip well on Sundays or any other time. So well, I don't like the service. Well, give an offering then. Those people live off of that. So, why am I getting on this? This is taking out of my valuable time. <laughs> so what Peter is saying, he's saying, listen, engage with people. Be involved with people. And the way that we do it is through this idea, he, as we talked about last week, of submitting. I <laughs> can't get into it, it's too long. And surrender and suffering. It's all the S's that s- also sound like suck, the S word. It's just horrible things, surrender, submission, uh, sacrifice, suffering, that kind of idea. The idea that we're a Eucharist people. And as Jesus was broken to bring salvation and shed his blood, that somehow as we reach out with that message of salvation, that we're broken and we bleed as we give our lives for people. That somehow we understand that the way people are one to Christ and are transformed is not just by words, it's by how we live before them. And so Peter continues, and we pick up in chapter 3 and verse 8, and he sort of kind of 
comes back around and, and he says, finally, which means that he sort of, you know, say, okay, I've been talking about all this. So let me come back and I'm going to reiterate it and we'll kind of come in for a landing. So we're picking up the text there. Finally, he says, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil. Now, what he's doing is he's setting up with that first statement. He's just saying, listen, before we can start dealing with this issue of the pagans that are evil, the people that are treating you badly, and, and, and how you should deal with the, that, that sort of response that comes up in you, that visceral response that when somebody evils you, you want to evil back, or they insult you, you want to insult back. Before we talk about what you do with that, let's talk about our own house first the house that God's building. Let's make sure that those of us that are involved in God's house, that we understand that God wants us to be sympathetic with each other, to love each other, to be compassionate with each other, and to be humble with each other. See, I love this because what he's saying is before we can reach those outside of faith, we have to make sure that we deal with our house. It was Jesus who said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you. Man, that's jacking up the bar there. You must love each other. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It's very important that people in the church, that we need to learn to love each other. It doesn't mean we don't get up at each other's grill. We don't tease each other. We don't poke at each other a little bit. But there should always be this sense of respect and appreciation and love for others. Sadly, Christians are more known for our infighting than for our willingness to love each other. Because I think we think we're all supposed to agree on everything. We're not all going to agree on everything. We're going to agree on all kinds of points. It's just there's so many things, areas that we disagree on. But we can choose because we're part of each other, part of a body. I mean, the liver isn't the same as the heart. But they stay together, thankfully. Right? See, it's not unlike your families. How many of you have families that you didn't pick? And, you know, and then they come into your world and you're going, why, Lord? Why me, Lord? (laughs) And sometimes it's in your immediate family. If you have a big enough one, it will be there. And if it's not, it's going to be in your, you know, kind of your extended family with your uncles and aunts and their children. You're going to run into weird because that's just just the way of things, right? That's the way it happens. Well, if you're going to have weirdos in your family, you're going to have weirdos in the church. I'm not talking about you know, sinful people. They're sinful people. Yeah, I am talking about <laughs> weirdos. Everybody's weird on some level. <clears throat> but what he's saying is we, we've got to move toward each other and we've got to love each other if we don't totally agree on something. We still need to move toward each other and respect and honor each other. And you know you how you can live this out uh, in, in, in today is we don't all go to one big church, but you ought to in your heart when you run into people that are of faith just open up your heart to them. You ought to wonder what God's doing in your life and what's God doing in your community. Don't think about one-upping or you know, thinking, well, if they don't come to this community, there's something wrong with them. That's not true. If everybody obeyed God this weekend, they wouldn't all come to sanctuary. It's true. Yes, God calls different people for different seasons in their lives to different places to grow. We ought to celebrate people and love people. By doing that, it makes people outside of faith go, And it starts a process that Peter invites us into to change the pagan's heart. Well, then he goes on and he says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. What he's saying is when you encounter evil, which you will, when you encounter insult, which you will, 
He's saying, don't function on the level that that's coming at you. If there's evil that comes at you, don't put evil back. If there's insult coming at you, don't insult back. It's so natural to do that. It's the natural response. You know, it's, it's, they're reaping what they've sowed. Evil to you, evil back. Insult to you, insult back. But he says, no, don't, don't go there. Don't stay on that level. So what do you do? He says, on the contrary, <laughs> repay evil <laughs> with blessing. Hard sell. <laughs> it's like this is not intuitive this is counterintuitive you mean to tell me peter that when somebody insults me i'm to bless them when somebody evils me or does something that evil here means corrupts means tries to pale it's a it's the notion of making something that's good less than good it's privation it's that limiting of good right so somebody comes at me with a limited good they're trying to destroy me on some way that i'm supposed to bless them Why would we do that? And then he tells us why. He says, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What he's saying is he's, listen, you guys are blessed by God. God is engaged with you. He has committed himself to you. He is chasing you. And God does it not because he was so impressed with how you are. He didn't look at you and go, oh my goodness, she is awesome. So I'm just going to bless her. He didn't do it because he blesses you in spite of you. right? And all you'd have to do is say yes. And what he's saying is, I mean, listen, if, if God was one to return evil for evil, we'd all be dead. Because we've done enough evil, enough insult, right? Enough rejection. Yet he doesn't respond to us on that level. He responds to us from a place of grace. So he blesses the evildoers. So what he's, Peter is saying is, he, listen, freely you have received Freely give. The reason that somebody, when you encounter insult, you don't insult back, but you bless. When you encounter evil, you don't evil back, but you bless. Is because you're representing the fact that you're connected to something else that's bigger than the circumstance you're in. You're connected to God. And because you're connected to God, you can afford weird people. And what you're doing is you're showing people what they don't see normally what God is like. Some people, the most they ever see of God before the great throne judgment is you. What are they seeing? If they insult you, you insult back. They evil you, you evil back. All you're doing is representing yourself. But when you dare to bless them, they go, what? They evil at you and you bless them. They insult you and they bless them. You know what they'll do? They'll up their evil and up their blessing just to figure out what you're doing. And so you get to the point where you're suffering, but you still bless them, is what Peter's saying. He claims that you're opening up the door, when you do that, for grace to spill to that person. When grace spills on a pagan, what happens is it's a God mugging. Right? This this is very reminiscent of Jesus and of Paul. Jesus, you remember from Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. (laughs) I love that verse. (laughs) You know, those of us that are guys, I mean, most gals, you know, they're just nicer. Generally speaking, girls, if you don't know this, you're just nicer than men. But most of us guys, we like the idea if somebody pokes out our eye, then we get to poke out their eye. (laughs) Just something that feels right about it. You know, you knock on my tooth. That's okay. It's cool. Come here. Knocking out your tooth just brings, just feels right. It feels just. It feels 
good. And then here comes Jesus. And he ruins it. <laughs> You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yes, yes. Don't go there, Jesus said. Give up that right. Don't go to retaliation. Why? You're not just people connected to your own selves. You're people connected to another. And then he says it. Don't resist. I tell you, don't resist the evil person. What? If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. What's he saying? Do not respond out of the sting. Do not, do not respond. There'll be that visceral kind of thing rising in you when the insult comes to insult back. When the suffering comes to give threats. But he says, don't go there. Don't go there. Instead, he says, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Bless the evildoer. If someone is evil and tries to force you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Again, bless the evildoer. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. Again, bless the evildoer. You know what he's saying? Say, listen, the reason you can do this is not because you're not worth anything, because you're just blowovers, you know, pushovers. The reason you're doing this is not even to make the other person happy. The reason you're doing this is because you're trying to show them what God is like. And you're trying to show them you're connected to God. Listen, the reason I can go that second mile and, and not just the first mile is because I know the strengthener. The reason I can give you my shirt and my cloak is because I know the provider. The reason I can kick the slap and turn you the cheek is because I know the healer. In other words, I can take this abuse from you, pagan, because I know God. I'm showing you that I am connected to someone bigger than myself. It's not unlike raising children. How many of you have raised children? You know how abusive that is. <laughs> Those little children, bless their little hearts, grow up in your house, more, more, give me, give me, give me, more, more, more. <laughs> you give them, you give them, you give them, never thank you. Thanks, thanks for my house, Dad. Thanks for giving me a place to stay. Thanks for food. No, uh -uh. more, I don't like this food. <laughs> take me, take me to Disney World. Well, maybe we'll go. Well, can we go now? I want to go now. You little blessing. <laughs> I'll never forget going when the kids were growing up. I had three little boys and then my, my daughter, my princess. But uh, my three little boys, those little guys, um, you know, they're all around the table. We're going out to eat. And there was, you know, we grew up, they grew up in a little town called Marshfield, Wisconsin, 18,000 people. There's like two restaurants there. And uh, so we go to the one restaurant, more favorite than the other restaurant. And so we went there. And, and one of the favorite things on the menu was their salad. They had a great little salad with these wonderful little croutons. And I love my croutons. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I get my, my, my salad and those little croutons just all dipping appropriately, swimming in my lovely salad dressing. And, and, you know, I turned my head. And before I knew it, I turned back. And those little fingers, <laughs> those three boys across the table, leaning over the table, putting their petri dish hands into my, into my salad, pulling out my lovely croutons and popping them in their mouth. <laughs> Everything in me wants to take my fork and stick it in the little hand. <laughs> Get away from my croutons. <clears throat> <laughs> course there's something else going on in my head and that is look at I can afford this abuse why I am the parent they are the child I am the parent they are the child I am the parent they are the child I can afford this 
See, this is what Peter's trying to tell us. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. He said, listen, you're dealing with these little ingrates all around you. They're the pagans. Give me, give me, give me, my, 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 mine, mine, mine. And they're going to grab your croutons. And you're going to want to stick them with your fork. But Jesus said, turn the other fork. Don't stick them with your fork. Instead, remember, you're connected to God. You can afford this. They're the pagan. You're the believer. They're the pagan. You're the believer. They're the pagan. You're the believer. Paul says the same thing in Romans 12. He says in verse 17, he says, listen, it's almost the same words as Peter. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not, when you, when you hit evil, don't react in that same plane, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He's saying, show respect. If it is possible, it's not always possible, but if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody. Do not take revenge. Turn the other cheek. My friends, but leave room for God to mess with the person. He's saying, leave room for the mugging. Because remember, you're following Jesus' example. And he suffered, and he submitted, and he surrendered. And in the process, we that were going astray have been brought to God. And you and I, as we, we, it's, that was globally, that was cosmically, that was for all eternity. But you and I somehow are called for this very calling, he said in 1 Peter 2.21. He said, this is your very calling, that you just follow in Jesus' steps. And as he suffered, leaving you an example, you should follow his steps. Our following his steps don't have global implications, but it has individual implications. And somehow the, 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 the thing that Jesus won through his sacrifice is brought to people through our sacrifice. We're part of carrying his cross. It's not redemptive. His redemption's enough, but it's transmitting the redemption that costs us something. And when we're willing to engage with people here, God gets involved. God touches them. When? When we don't stay on that plane of evil for evil, but we leave room for God. It is mine to avenge, he says in verse 19. I will repay. And then in verse 20, he says, listen, on the contrary, instead of returning evil for evil, go to the other place. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, don't gloat. Feed him. Bless the evildoer. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Bless the evildoer. Why? Because he says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Part of me goes, at last. <laughs> but that's not, he's not, he's not going to be, he's not being mean to the person that's your enemy. Coals, in biblical metaphor, is a reference to the purging away of evil. He's basically saying, if you'll do this, you're making room for God to mug them. And what a mugging looks like is God brings in coals and pours it over their head, which is a purging of evil, which means the thing that's eviling you from them gets dissolved. The thing that's insulting you from them will get dealt with. This is opening the door for evil that's in them to be banished. We pick it up in Isaiah 6. Isaiah says about Uh, this issue he says in the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord he was sitting on a throne high and exalted his train of of his robe filled the temples above him were these angels each of them had six wings two wings covered their faces two wings covered their feet and with two they're flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the Lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory 
And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke and Isaiah starts to freak out. Woe to me, he cries. I am ruined. I'm a person of unclean lips, of evil lips, and I live among a people of evil lips, unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of glory. I'm going to die, is what he's saying. But then one of the seraphs, one of the angels flew to me with a live coal. A live coal is a burning coal. In his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and with it, he touched my mouth. He poured it on my head. He touched my mouth, and he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. This is a close-up of God-mugging. Somehow when you and I see our enemy and we're kind to them, we don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but we know we're connected to another place that we're double-realmed beings. We're not just, that we can actually afford being connected with people that are not kind, not nice, and we move toward them. And as they're pouring insult on us, we just return with grace. It, it captures them. They can't figure it out. So they pour it on more. And if we continue to stand their suffering, Peter is saying, Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, eventually, God will hit them with coals and will burn away the thing making them evil, which means the ones who were once pagans, not glorifying God, now glorify God, give him thanks. In other words, we participated in changing the world. Not so easy as giving them a tract or leaving it in a bathroom, hoping the world comes to Christ or going on TBN with weird hair. That's, that is a sign and a wonder. I mean, I'll give you that. Not sure it reaches the world, though. You know, I just read a, a survey yesterday, two days ago, and um, uh, from the Pew uh, Research Institute and also from Barna, and there's a couple, couple other surveys. In the last 30 years, I keep doing these surveys about church growth, evangelical church growth. And what they claim is that over the same, over that whole period of time, that most of the growth that churches that grow have is the re-migration of saints. It's the wandering saints moving from place to place to place to place. Going to, that, that, that only about 10% of congregations that are evangelical have people that are coming to Christ who did not know Christ. Why, why aren't we reaching more people? Why is church attendance going from 1970 to about, it was about in the 30%-ish zone of people attending churches to by 2050, they still be like under 11%. Why? Because we're not reaching people. We just think we are. We think by us standing in pulpits, we're reaching them. By us being on radio or television, we're reaching them. <laughs> we're reaching them. You know how we're going to reach the world? Is when the church realizes that the most important thing she does is not give her money away or put preachers on TV. Or have preachers stand in pulpits on Sundays. The most important thing, those things are important. And we want all of your money. (laughs) But the most important thing is you. Daring to go out and say, God, would you use me for that weird person? Or would you send me to that person over there and and, and that little dark spot over there because I'm light in the world? And, and that you're willing to actually engage until you suffer, until people see light, until God flashes through your giving and your heart and change the world. It's harder. Now, the 
let's, let's finish. Oh, and let me just finish this last part of what Paul said in Romans 12, 21. Read it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome with. You don't have to freak out about evil. If you encounter evil on the job or with a client, or with, you don't have to be overcome by it. You can overcome it, but how? With evil? Tricking? In kind rejection and insult? No, by good. So let's go back to our text. He said, don't repay evil for evil. This is 1 Peter 3, 9. Don't repay evil for evil, insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. For this you were called to inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love your life, want to love life and see good days, must keep your tongue from evil. What's he saying? Don't keep talking about what all the mean jerks and the jackals of your life are doing. Quit talking about how bad your job is or how bad people that you work with are. You keep talking that you will not love your life, you will not see good days. But if you will dare say, you know what? I thank God that I have a job and I'm going to bring an attitude that I'm doing this as unto the Lord. And you know what? Even if it's a job that everyone says sucks, I'm going to de-suck it. (laughs) I dare you. You will love your life. You will see good days. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. You know, the only real weapon powerless people have is the weapon of harsh words. Don't go there. He says, turn from evil. Do good. Why? Because good overcomes evil. Seek peace. Pursue it. Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. In other words, the people that are committed to doing what's right. The people committed to not focusing on evil. The people that are committed to just engaging in life. His ears are connected to their prayers. In other words, he's in it with you. He'll be in it with you. But his face is against people who don't do that, who only respond evil for evil or insult for insult. If you keep doing that, and you keep being mean-spirited, what ends up happening is God will not be with you. One guy in our church in Wisconsin, bless his heart, he was so rude. And he was used to, well, just, you know, people don't like me, and it's because I'm an evangelist, and I'm rejected because of the cause of Christ. I'm listening to him, and I'm getting suspicious, because he's just obnoxious anyway. (laughs) I'm not sure it's Christ at all. I think I just hate him. (laughs) So I asked him, I drilled into a little bit, I said, listen, I said, well... Before you came to Christ, because you came to Christ like three years ago, right? He said, yeah. I said, before you came to Christ, were you at that same job? Yeah. I said, did you not, I mean, did you, everybody love you then? Oh, no, no, no. I said, why not? Said, well, I got opinions. He said, I, you know, I said, so what did you get in trouble for? My politics, my, my things, feelings about this, and my feelings about what was going on in the job. And I said, so you were obnoxious before you came to Christ? He said, yeah. I said, well, you know what, bro? You're obnoxious now. You just have a new cause. And you're calling yourself an evangelist. You're not an evangelist. You're obnoxious. <laughs> if people don't like you, it's because you're weird and unlikable. And you just think, well, I, I believe the right things. Well, you know what? Be quiet about it so nobody thinks you're a Christian. <laughs> and who wants to be like you? Verse 13, I'm going to close this down. <laughs> I was getting out of the anointing and the annoying, but <clears throat> who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for doing what's right, you're blessed. <laughs> Don't fear threats. Don't be frightened by people. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Why? He's the source of your strength. He's the source of your energy, your patience, your hope, your grace to suffer. And if you'll just set apart Christ as Lord and just love people, 
and care for people, he, something will happen. He says, that's why he says in the next phrase, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you a reason for the hope that you have. See, if you live this way, they'll start asking you questions. Some of you never get asked any questions because you've reduced faith to principles and beliefs and political positions. And nobody asks you anything because they know you're difficult to hear. If nobody's asking you any questions about your faith, it's because you're not living it. You're not living this way. Where you walk into a room and you think, there you are, instead of here I am. Where you walk in a room and even the people you don't agree with, you find ways to appreciate them and applaud them and love them and enjoy them like your weird Uncle Bill. When you go to Thanksgiving, you don't just think about how weird he is. You love him because he's your Uncle Bill. You should love people because they're worth Jesus to God. Not because they're so wonderful. Not because they're so crooked. Who cares? You just love them recklessly. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. He sends sunshine on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's this reckless kind of caring. If you dare to do that, and you love people, and they kind of rawr at you, and you don't rawr back, but you give them a blessing instead, I am telling you, it won't be long till they ask you, why are you like this? And then he says, be prepared to give an answer for why you're like this. And then he says, but make sure, the last part of that he warns, do this with gentleness and with respect. Now, I think we all kind of get this, that it's troubled, troubling. Let me give you an example as I shut up here. Um, of what he's saying. This will work anywhere. I'm on an airplane, Chicago, Illinois. I'm going to preach at a place, two-hour flight. I'm ex- I didn't get a chance much to prepare, so I was looking forward to really spending time on the flight. I had some books with me. I was going to read them, and I thought, you know, a little, I, was in, I was in coach, and, you know, it was just, the plane was totally packed, but miraculously, it seemed, there were two seats open next to me, and we're about ready to leave first class, and the whole cabin is totally packed. There's two seats open. I'm thinking, God has been, something good has happened to me, <laughs> Right? And, 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 and just before they shut the door, it's right at the time, just before they shut the door, I hear coming down the jetway, what in the world? I mean, there's a certain decorum about walking on an airplane, and that ain't it. I'm thinking, what's going on? And sure enough, coming through the front door of that air, side door of that airplane, it comes in these two people, this guy and this gal, and they were from the land of the giants. They were big people. And I'm thinking to myself, the first thought came into mind. I mean, they sounded like they were halfway to full tank. I mean, they'd been drinking. And I'm thinking to myself, they're going to sit by me, right? And as I'm in me, they're right here. They say, excuse me, we're in there. And I'm trying to get up to get a little bit. They just kind of bulldozed over me and sat down and they're so loud and pretty obnoxious. And my ticked off meter is going way up. They sit down, and that gal's by the window, and she looks out. She says, I think, I think that's Joe. Somebody working the baggage. Apparently, she knew they were from Chicago. And she said, I know. And she starts hitting the window. <laughs> bam, bam. Joe! Hey, Joe! Bam, bam. I don't think you can hear me. Joe! Bam, bam. I don't think you can hear me. 
And so we get on the runway, we start taking it off, the nose of the plane comes up, then the rear end of the plane comes up, and no sooner than the wheels were up, that guy reaches down in his carry-on bag and pulls out a bottle of whiskey <laughs> and a couple of plastic cups. You can't do that. You can't bring booze on a plane. You can't bring, you can't. It's illegal. Did you know that? You can buy booze. You can't bring booze. Right? And so they're pulling out the booze. They're pouring the booze. And my first thought is I'm looking at that person. Button up there. They're going to put the push the people button. And I'm going to go, they've got booze. They've got booze back here. Right? So I'm just jacked out, man. I am jacked out. Because <laughs> I'm still ticked off that they have my space that God gave me. That they robbed the blessing. They robbed the blessing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and in my heart, I kid you not, in my heart, I hear this. They're worth Jesus to God. And, uh, you know, the truth is, God really loves people. I mean, he actually has chosen them. Every person you run into is a dream come true. Acts 17 says that he chose the time in history when they'd be born and the exact place where they should live. Psalm 139 says he knew them when they were in their mother's womb. He formed them there. That the way that they think, the way that they laugh, the things that they're present, all by God. That God watches them when they sit, when they stand. They're all stories of God. And, and if you ever understand that God loves people just because they're people, he doesn't love them to proselytize them. He's not trying to get them on his spiritual downline. Here, these are the three trinity circles. Let me have you sign here. He just loves them flat. He's the guy that goes fishing, and he throws the bait into the water without any lines or hooks. That's God. And then not only that, he jumps in the water and becomes a freaking fish. That's how much he loves the fish. That's our God. So, so, so God would have been dealing with my heart. Love people, not to, because you're trying to convert them. Love them because they're people. Put the face of Jesus on them. Because I'll tell you what, if I, had a, if I left here and I went in my car and I looked over and Jesus was sitting in my seat, of, you know, in the, in the driver, rider's seat, I would love that. I would go, Jesus, what you doing? <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't you love to see Jesus? And so I felt in my heart, God saying, listen, you need to celebrate people. They're worth Jesus to God. You need to put the face of Christ on them. And, and so I'm, I felt that. I, I've been feeling that, but right now I'm jacked up. And I heard in my heart, they're worth Jesus to God. And my head said to my heart at that moment, I'm glad they're worth something to someone. <laughs> right? Have you ever fought with yourself? And then, I, then I, that, thought, that thought came to me. Put the face of Jesus on them. And I said, okay, okay. Put the face of Jesus on them. Okay, okay. Put the face of Jesus on them. So I looked over there laughing. Ah, 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 talking. I looked over and looked at them for just a second. I said, my head said, it's the face of the devil! It's the devil! It's not Jesus at all! <laughs> Took me a few minutes to deal with me. <laughs> and so finally, I looked over at them and I remember thinking to myself, who are you? Who are you? Why does God love you so much? That he chases you, he watches everything you do. You, you, you're, you, I don't think you're ministers or anything. <laughs> and you know, they're cussing up the story. It was pretty funny. <clears throat> anyway. 
So I'm thinking, who are you? And as I leaned to them, I remember over the next two hours falling in love with them. And listen to him, he's a musician and he owns a pizza place. I listen to where they're going, they're doing on this vacation thing and I'm talking to her and she's a hairdresser and uh, owns another thing. And, um, and just, they were just delightful people. And in the course of the conversation, we're laughing and telling stories. And then at one point, he remembers a joke. So he starts telling me the joke. And as he started the joke, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I think this is a dirty joke. <laughs> now that wasn't the moral crisis. The moral crisis was, what if it's funny? (laughs) Right? (laughs) It was really funny. (laughs) I'm not even going to go. You're you're on your own on that uh, moral dilemma thing. (laughs) So anyway, we're talking, and you you start caring for people and loving people. Eventually, they're going to start asking you, the questions about you. Well, I'm a preacher. You know. They talk to me, where are you going? So I'm actually going to speak at a church. Why? Well, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. Oh, man, they put the blues away. <laughs> it was so obvious and weird. I'm laughing out loud. I put my hand and say, guys, it's cool. Just, you know, just do what you're doing. I'm not here to be weird at you. And we start talking about God and about Jesus. And by the time we were starting to come down to land, we're all holding hands and praying together. And after I got done praying, I I looked at them and and both of them were tearing up. And she looked at me and she said, she said, said, you know, my sister's a born againer. (laughs) But she's so mean. She's the meanest person I know. She's always yelling at me, always telling me where I'm wrong. I said, you're not like that. And the guy said, yeah, she's mean. (laughs) (laughs) And and here's what I I notice about we humans, Christians that are human, is we want to judge people. We want God to love them. But because we're so good at it, I am such a great judge. I I mean, I could be with you for a couple of hours. I could judge you up one side and down the other. I'm great at it. It's the love thing that throws me. And yet the Holy Spirit, it said of Jesus, said of the Holy Spirit, he will come into the world to convince them of their sin. You and I under the power of the Holy Spirit are to love people recklessly and kindly and without judgment. But that's the hardest part because we need God for that. Listen, you can change the world. We can change the world. Some people will be won by just hearing the message. But most of the people you know, the only way that those people will ever cross a real threshold of faith is if you dare to stop being a long noise, pointed headed, religious bigot who ensconces him or herself in political jargon and start actually looking at the people you're around and think, they're worth Jesus to God and put the face of Jesus on them and dare to love them even 